everybody. Welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 313 being recorded on August 13th, 2014. I'm Ryan Shroud. I'm Jeremy Elstrom. I'm Josh Walrath. And I'm Alan Malventano. I did not make the mental connection before the show started that we were on 313 and it's August 13th. And <gasps> Is it Friday the 13th too? Yes. No. Somewhere. Oh. No, no, no. Not no, even. I'm go with no. No. Uh, no. Uh, no. Uh, I don't think that's how time zones work. Maybe on Mars. <laughs> uh, so this is the PC Perspective Podcast. We talk about computer hardware and funny t-shirts uh, and stuff like that, really. Mostly just PC hardware. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a busy week ahead of us. We had a lot of – or a busy week behind us, rather. And we have lots of busy weeks coming up ahead of us. Um, so – Let's go ahead and jump right into what is going on. First, uh, if you're watching us live at pcper.com slash live, we highly, highly appreciate that. We record it on Wednesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Um, figure that out in your own time zones, although we do have a timer on the right-hand side of the website. If you want to just get an email so you know when we're about to start going live, you can go to pcper.com slash subscribe. It's before or something like that. Uh, and... Uh, that's all we use it for, so you don't have to worry about signing up for some other kind of, of weird spam list that way. Um, so sign up for that if you can. Let's um, go can ahead. Can we pause? Because apparently our audio is back and forth. It was only on that shot. I fixed it. Uh, oh, it's, we're nicely all done. Now. We're all better. We're all better. Uh-oh, the Josh mute is on Ryan. Oh, no. What? Yeah, you know. The Josh mute is on Ryan? Yeah. When Josh usually gets muted. Oh yeah, a, you know no, when no. you give the, uh, the the sign to to to, to Ken. Yeah, to cut I've me actually off. got a special light that I hit a button like on the underside of the desk, like you know, like a call security <laughs> button, and it, like, and it flashes on Ken the board. And he instantly mutes me. Yes, it flashes on the board over there by Ken to turn to turn it off, turn yeah. off, turn off, turn off. Uh, so let's talk about processors. We're going to talk about Kaveri processors this time, in particular the A10-7800 and the A6-7400K. You got to play around with these chips for a little while, Josh. What did you think of them? Well, it's about time that AMD actually released them. Uh, I think if you remember back when you initially uh, reviewed the 7850, you also got the A8-7600, and you thought that was kind of a neat chip. You know, it had the uh, configurable 65-watt, 45-watt TDPs. Uh, the performance wasn't bad as compared to the 7850. It wasn't fantastic against Haswell, but, you know, you win some, you lose some. But uh, that was never really available until relatively recently. And it's interesting because now AMD finally launches out uh, two more, I believe, two or yeah, two more processors for the Kaveri lineup. And... Uh, finally is able to provide the 7600 to the market. So we've got three processors. I was able to review two of them, and uh, all three of them feature the configurable TDP. So they come out of the blocks at 65 watts, and they are optimized for 45-watt operation. And uh, AMD has done a a ton in low-level software work to try to extract the most performance out of these products without really exceeding the TDP levels that we're looking at here. And primarily that is, hey, let's boost, boost these up as fast as we can for as long as we can. And then as soon as the work's done, you know, go back to zero or, well, it's not zero, but uh, get down, down to a lower, uh, lower power uh, 
area. So the 7800 performs slightly below the 7850 in most applications. When you start getting into things that will really stress the CPU cores, it'll start to throttle down and down to keep at the 65 watt and the 45 watt range, whichever one that you are uh, at. Now, as uh, because it is steamroller and it is lower clocked, it doesn't perform as well as the last generation uh, Richland, which were clocked at like 4.0 to 4.4. Or in this case, I tested against the 6970, which is 3.9 to 4.3 in turbo mode. Right. So overall, CPU performance, well... Not fantastic. Yeah, uh, you can see here with the uh, with the graphs, like the seventy four hundred K, which is kind of an interesting little product and something I'm going to be, you know, messing with uh, a little later. It is only a single module, uh, two thread core, and so it it does not perform obviously as well as the others. But that's also seventy seven dollars. It's still got a pretty solid graphics unit. It's got true audio, all the other hardware. Uh, goodies that come with Kaveri and uh, it really is aimed more at the uh, that 20 that year Pentium edition product I think in ways it's, it's going to be curious to see how far that is going to overclock and that will be something that I'm going to check out here later. Cool. Uh, graphics performance of course is really good it's there, I mean AMD still has the best integrated graphics unit GCN architecture is fantastic it's really well designed, really powerful, really flexible. You can do some really great things with that just from having a single 65 watt TDP 7800. I mean, uh, a lot of the games that you play, you can play at uh, what 1650 and, and 1920 pretty uh, pretty easily. Well, 1680. You have to obviously adjust the uh, the quality, quality settings. settings yeah. Yeah, but uh, overall, there were good parts. Uh, the price is still a little high for the 7800. I think it is 155 The 7700, which is above it in performance, but is also a 95-watt TDP part, that's around the same price. Uh, the 7850, I think, is still in the 169 range. And again, the, uh, the 7400K, which again is, is totally unlocked, uh, you can get that for 77 bucks. So if you want an inexpensive gaming machine that you can still enable the GCN clusters you can have true audio and uh, you can you know overclock this monstrosity as, as far as it'll go which I'm guessing is still going to be in the 4.6, 4.7 range if you have pretty good cooling mm-hmm. uh, for 77 bucks it's not a bad deal. The 7800 I think is not as compelling though if you're an HTPC guy uh, being able to do the configurable TDP down to 45 watts, put that in, you know, a nicely fleshed out motherboard from AMD, which you can get for just nickels and dimes. It seems like as compared <laughs> to a lot of the Intel uh, products. Yep, it's going to be a good solid product for such an application, and you're not going to have to have a whole lot of cooling for it. So, I mean, uh, for different areas, uh, you know, small form factor workstations that do not need a lot of graphics power or a lot of CPU power, again, it's a, a solid part. Mm-hmm. It, it, it probably this is a, a story we could have talked about without actually having done much of the test, right? When I mean, we kind of knew where they were at in many of these stances. So, um, 
But yeah, I think it's good the thing to see. that the yeah, the, the thing that is most disappointing to me is when you compare it to that i3 4330. Yeah. How badly it falls down on a lot of the CPU tests. So, I mean, it's not it's not even really close in most of those. Yeah, Single threaded, yeah, multi threaded, it's it's kind of a, a wash a wash out yeah. for them. Um yeah, uh, it, it, they've got an uphill battle, and especially when you consider that they slightly decreased in like IPC from the previous generation. Um, there's that too. Well, to fight yeah, against. per clock IPC did improve, but they had to clock it down okay. so much yeah, lower. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Um, let's talk about something maybe a little bit more exciting, maybe more uplifting. This is the uh, first retail available. G-Sync monitor we reviewed. This is the Asus ROG Swift PG278Q, not to be confused with the PB278Q or the PB287Q yeah. uh, or the VG248QE, which is actually kind of different, so that's okay. Um, so this is the Asus Republic of Gamers Swift, uh, ROG Swift PG278Q. It's a 27-inch, 2560x1440 monitor. Uh, has 144 hertz ref- refresh rate, um, but maybe most importantly is it has one of these inside of there, the NVIDIA G-Sync module that enables support for uh, G-Sync technology. I'm not going to go over G-Sync here. We've talked about it a lot throughout the last uh, nine months or so. We are basically looking at a replacement for V-Sync on or off yep. uh, that enables smoother animations without horizontal tearing. Um, Best of both worlds. Yeah, if you if you don't know what this is, you need to go back and read. If you go to our if you go to the PG two seven eight Q review on the website, there's mm-hmm. links back to the previous stories we did, as well as links back to the video we did with uh, Tom Peterson just after they announced G Sync. That kind of really goes over in detail the explanation of G Sync. I have a little bit of a of an overview in the story itself. Um, if you just need a refresher course, if you will. Now uh, this monitor also has. ULMB ultra low motion blur, which is um, it's a technology where the backlight strobes at the same point as the refresh is is occurring. Yeah, it's in sync with the refresh, right? As opposed to just kind of being always on mm-hmm. or always off, right? Um, now, light light boost is what this was called originally yep. when it came out with 3D vision, right? And it was uh, Nvidia's way of trying to reduce ghosting for um because they were displaying two totally different images not totally different but two different images on the screen very quickly alternatingly so they needed a way to make sure there wasn't a lot of ghosting or pullover like those pixels were on the screen and and turned off as quickly Mm -hmm. as they could and so light boost was the technology for that and what people found is even if you weren't using it in 3d mode if you could hack it in and use 2d mode that you had this low persistence i guess maybe we would call it like um non-ghosting image it's kind of more of an effect i guess but i mean yeah yeah you know. it, it, the the bad the, the negative side effect of it is though it lowers your brightness it yep. reduces your brightness fairly considerably um it's hard to show in photos or anything uh, but if you look at uh some of these pictures you you know if, if you look at it in person you'll see brightness is essentially cut in half right and what you get as can, a can result, you just like crank up the brightness to compensate. Kind no, of, or? you no. can't. Like you don't even turn the brightness all the way up. Yeah, you know, unless without ULMB, you typically have your brightness way, 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 way down. Yeah, it's still going to be noticeably different. Okay. Now the benefit is is uh, 
certain games, especially like RTS games, that have a lot of small text on the screen that are like hovering over characters' heads, and you are constantly kind of scrolling back and forth across them. Yeah, um, that text will be a little bit sharper and easier to read with ULMB. Uh, if it's something where like you're playing late at night and you would have the brightness down on your monitor anyway, then maybe that's okay. Uh, but Nvidia kind of says that you know for the most part you kind of you can't enable both of these at the same time. I should point out G-Sync won't work with ULMB enabled, so you have to pick one or the other, um, and you should just basically pick whichever one helps you the most in that particular game. And I in my testing and playing around with it, the G-Sync is a much more noticeable benefit than ULMB is, except for a very specific use cases. Uh, the monitor itself, like I said, 27 inch, 2560 by 1440, great specs. Uh, it is a TN panel, but as we saw with the um, PB287Q, the 4K panel yeah. that was TN, better Probably than the, typical TN. Yeah, like the best-looking TN experience yeah. I've seen, yep. really. In terms of viewing angles and all that, there was one bug that people have found where uh, – <laughs> what was that called? What's that? Um, if you show a grid of – Individual pixels where it alternates black and white each pixel. Yeah, I think it's like gray and white or something. It was called what was that? What was the test called on that website? I can't I remember forgot what it was the name called. Of the test. Uh, it was like scan. Yeah. Re- but if you show if you show enough of it on the screen, <coughs> then it kind of I don't know something in the panel is doing some math and it like ends up affecting the color of yeah, like the gray that's. that occurs turns into like a greenish. Yeah, gives color. it a green tint and it changes a little bit, alters what's even outside that yeah. area a little bit. So yeah. it's like I don't know some kind of weird. I have never seen it outside of that. Like, there's a website you can go to where it creates this very specific pattern. Yeah. Um, that's used to like benchmark monitors and crawling and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and and it shows up there, but I haven't seen it anywhere else yeah. yet. Someone might have it as a background on a web page or something. Yeah. Funky like that, and you'd probably run into it. But ASUS says they're looking at if they can fix it in a firmware update. So we'll we'll see how that goes. But I don't think that's a deal killer. For the display, really, I yeah. don't think it's. I don't think it's a. It's a. You, you have to <laughs> try to make it do it. Yeah. To yeah. To, yeah. Um, in terms of like the monitor itself, it's a fairly good design, right? Uh, it's got, I think, nice angles. It's kind of aggressive looking. It's got this red uh, light along the base. Um, it's got a really thin six millimeter bezel on the top and sides of it. So if you have multiples of these in an NVIDIA surround setup, uh, it'll look really cool. You'll have to have three video cards to do it, but it'll look really cool. Um, <laughs> The buttons behind it are, you know, as, as far as monitor control, they're really, really good. They do have a button, one of these unnamed buttons here. This this one looks like a speedometer. Actually lets you switch between 144, 120, and 60 hertz without having to go in the menus or anything. You can just hit the button and toggle between them. Uh, and it, it, I don't know what you would do that for necessarily. How does that interact with the G-Sync stuff? Does that just set the maximum? Yep. Oh, okay. It's basically changing the maximum frequency... And it sets it in the driver as well, right? So the driver kind of huh. re-recognizes. So you can do that like while you're in game or while you're in Windows. That's cool. It all works. I don't um, know. Yeah, I don't know why you'd want. I don't to know why slower. you would want to switch back. Yeah, maybe watching video and you don't want that kind of weird effect that occurs with super high refresh rate. I don't know. Or maybe, maybe some games react differently to 120 versus 60. Hmm. Uh, but you can do it. It's for me. It was just useful for wow. Look how much different it looks going from 60 to 120 to 144. Yeah. Um, uh, what else we got here? The OSD, like I said, works fine. Uh, you can Asus has these things where you can add your, you can add like a permanently add a targeting reticule to the exact center of the monitor. Hmm. If the game doesn't have one, I guess I don't. Kind of like the original what? Doom. 
Maybe. Or did they have a dot? I don't remember. I think it was a dot. No. They also they have, have they also have like a timer. You can set a timer on it. So like the the OSD will just always have a timer up there. Apparently, if you're really into RTS games and you need and you know like the cooldown rates or like the recharge rates uh, of certain things, you can just what, kind of what if I'm really into hot pockets? <laughs> if you're into hot pockets, you can set a timer for That's exactly true. six Sweet and a half minutes. Hot pockets. And because it's always on your screen, you won't you'll you'll know when to interrupt your. Uh, Diablo three gaming, so you can go get your hot pocket out of the out of the microwave. Um, pretty basic cable management. It's got Visa mount on there if you want to take the stand off of uh, this particular display. But because you don't want to look at that red ring anymore. Well, you can turn that off. Yeah, you, you can, can turn it, okay, turn it off in the OSD if you don't if you don't want it. Uh, but it, the the stand itself is actually really nice. It's got rotate. It's got tilt. It's got uh, you yeah. know you can put it in portrait mode. It feels sturdy. Yeah, just like you know if you just kind of touch the if you're messing you with the buttons, elevate it. The, yeah, and uh, it does go up yeah. and down. Yeah, build quality is nice. And here's what's interesting: like they've, this is the only; these are the only connections on the monitor, right? You've got your power input, you've got your DisplayPort input, a USB three uh, hub, essentially. Like this goes to your PC, and then you have two USB three ports on there, which is nice. But the only connection on this monitor is DisplayPort. Yep. There's no HDMI. There's no. There's no DVI. That's G-Sync. Right. But I was kind of. I kind of thought they might. Like offer an HDMI or DVI if you happen to use this monitor on a different system. Yeah, you're not worried about G-Sync or. It would have like to that. drop back to 60 and no G-Sync. Well, I think no, it's no, more not be- even that. The uh, the G-Sync module itself would have to be designed to have DVI in or VGA in. Correct. And they just focus only on DP. Which of course, you know, when Ken heard the term DP on a monitor, he got excited. But yeah, yeah. Didn't but that is correct. It is it is more of like a G-Sync module restriction, I think. Yeah. Uh, enabling G-Sync is super easy in the driver. It's, you basically go into the control panel where vertical sync setting would be. It set it to G-Sync. Um, so obviously last week I spent a lot of time playing G-Sync games. We played Skyrim. We played Metro, uh, Tomb Raider, Grid 2, uh, Bioshock Infinite, Watch Dogs, Wolfenstein. Um, and I had... Nothing but good experiences with it, mm-hmm. in gaming wise, right? Um, and I use so for, at this uh, point. Oh, can you look any of your other monitors in the face and not think <laughs> I've got a much better looking model in the back? Um, are you that hooked on it for gaming? I would say that you are correct, right? Like the the gaming experience on it is, yeah, much better. Than I, I used else. it. I used it. I sat down at it while uh, actually while you were running around today. Yep, sat down for like a good hour. What? hour and a half, something like that, just trying to do desktop stuff. Mm-hmm. Just trying to, like, you know, browse, read stuff, things like that, because I tried doing that same thing with, and I can't, I don't even know what model number that was. The one we did, the G-Sync. And, the, the, oh, the original the G-Sync? Original the original G-Sync. VG248QE. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just that TN panel, it just hurts your eyes after a while trying to do normal stuff. It's just, yeah. you know, it's just really kind of not good TN. It's just not a good panel. Right, yeah. Uh, this, it's passable at least. Right. You know, I mean, I can. It's obviously not as good as if you have a nice IPS display, right? But it's at least good enough to be able to comfortably read and not really strain your eyes. And I was surprised how much of a difference there was, even in the Windows environment, switching from sixty to one hundred and twenty. Oh, just moving Windows around. And yeah, stuff. just like the the way the mouse felt. Yeah. Right. It it. it it should it should have been it should have made sense to me because I knew going from the thirty hertz when mm-hmm. we were playing with those like Seiki four K TVs it must have been horrible and how bad it was <laughs> using them in Windows right like it was passable but it was like wow this feels I couldn't wouldn't have imagined that moving the mouse cursor on the screen would have felt so different right and now going to one hundred forty four hertz panel 
it feels way better. Yep. Like it, it actually takes another dramatic step up. Um, and this panel also fixed that weird thing we saw with the the original G Sync panel. Yeah, between twenty five and thirty frames per second, where we yeah. were seeing that there was a judder and doesn't it's not there anymore. It's, I imagine exist. that's a there. that's a G Sync driver fix or a firmware fix yeah. or something. Something. Um, but you know. It, it's it was it was an interesting thing, right? Because I'm sitting there and I'm just kind of playing games, and you don't really know what you're looking for because it looks good. Yeah. So you just think, well, it looks good, right? So you kind of have to like you have to be on the lookout for stuff, right? So well, it really shines if you're, if you're doing steady steady pans. pans. First yeah. of all, that's where G Sync just hits you in the face, regardless of the refresh rate. As far as you know, if you're used to seeing tearing because you're playing with uh, V Sync off all the time, right? And then you do that same move with this panel. That just doesn't happen, and you're getting the same, you know, benef- speed benefit mm-hmm. of VSync off, mm-hmm. um, just with a cleaner display, right? And then the other place where it's a pretty big difference is just really low refresh rates. If you insist on cranking your settings all the way up, and you don't necessarily have the fastest video card, yep, uh, you know that experience is really kind of crappy if you're trying to play with VSync on and not get tearing, right? Because now you're getting all of the negatives at the same time, right? But with G-Sync, it lets you get away with that same frame rate and be a little bit more playable. It's, it's interesting, right? Because if you looked at the reviewer's guide from NVIDIA, they were recommending you get like a Titan Black or 780 Ti to right. use with this. I, I, wanted, I use a GTX 770, mm-hmm. which is a much more, you know, it's a much lower price card. I think it's more, um, you know, in line with what people who are maybe looking to buy these things. It's a much more common card than a 780 Ti would be. Right. Um, and I'm still able to find games that fit into both those windows, right? If you mm-hmm. looked at, I played Tomb Raider, and my frame rate ranged from like 30 to 46 frames per second. That's a good. And it sweet was spot it was right second. in that area where um, th- the difference was dramatic. Yep. Right. But then I also played Skyrim, right? And Skyrim is a game where my frame rates range from 65 to 105. Mm-hmm. And even if you had a normal display with VSync at 60, you'd still have a pretty good experience there. Yeah. Um, but now that you have higher than 60 refresh rates. You still yeah, get the advantages helps. of uh, not tearing at all on on the screen, right? Mm-hmm. Bioshock Infinite um, frame rates from fifty five to one hundred improvements there. You know, Watch Dogs was another big one. Uh, even at low quality settings, twenty five sixty by fourteen forty, our frame rates were between forty and forty seven. Yeah. So another place where it makes a pretty bad experience, or at least a reasonable experience, a much better gaming yeah, experience, much right? more like, playable, much more responsive. It was just easy to sit down and play with it. You know, they, they even go into, um, uh, in their viewer's guide, like NVIDIA recommending, you need to have like a high DPI mouse. Like you need to have a high quality mouse, high polling yeah. rate mouse, right? Okay. Because things are going to feel different Oh yeah. than, than they felt before. Yeah, but mice have been pr- like good yeah. enough at that. Yeah, yeah, but like don't use something like this. Yeah, don't use like a wireless, using, don't right? use a cheesy like laptop yeah. wireless mouse. Yep. Yeah. Don't do that. Yep, and uh, you know it was it, it was cool to see you know Metro Last Light like dip down to the twenty six range, and that was where we made sure that we didn't see any kind of that. Yeah, we made sure it was a nice bouncing. smooth panning scene where the and camera I did, was doing. I did, a- I did screw around with some stuff and like turned it up to like very high settings where we had frame rates in the teens. Yeah, uh, and it still worked. It still looked bad. Once you get that low, your your brain does something different. Yeah. It's, it's not that it was acting any less smooth. The animation was still as correct as it could be. Yeah. But when you're running at 13 frames per second. Yeah, there wasn't judder. It's just that once you get, like, I, mean, I imagine that number is different for everybody. But once you get so low, yeah. you're, you're not interpreting a, a video anymore. You're not interpreting animation. You're seeing pictures. Right. And yeah. they just happen to be changing every so yep. often. Yeah. I will say that uh, this is the first, 
I think this is the first 144 hertz 25 by 14 panel. Is that right? I think so. Official. Official. Like you could get yeah. some that are like overclocked. Overclocked Korean panel. Um, like up to the 100 and 110, 120 maybe if you yeah. get lucky. But this is like the first 144 25 by 14 yep. panel. Supported out of the box. Yep. It's supposed to do that. No tricks. And without yeah. take, even taking G-Sync out of the picture. The panel itself is pretty the good. The panel itself is great. Yeah. So I could even see some some you know AMD users deciding that I'm going to buy this monitor because it's 144 hertz, 25 by 14, yep. and Nvidia is probably totally cool with that because that would likely mean the next GPU they buy they would go well I've already got this G-Sync panel invested in yeah let's buy a, a, a GTX graphics card or something like that we put the light meter on it and the color was like it was basically the whole gamut right yep yeah after uh, it was within like four or five percent out of the box and yeah. then did the the calibration and right. it was 99 percent of srgb i think is yeah. what it was. yeah which is so brilliant for a tn panel right right and the only thing that i noticed just using it because i, I don't know i'm kind of my eyes are paranoid or something but it just seemed to me that like just because of it being tn you could tell there was less contrast in text you could tell that you know even messing around with clear type and trying to make the characters mm. more bold compared to like an IPS panel, it was just you know a little bit thinner. Like the like the blacks were a little bit just kind of right. like not full black. So this table I put on the last page is kind of like a summary of what I think the positives are of all of these different monitors out there. Yeah, and there's obviously a dozen other monitors I could put in this matrix, right? Um, the Swift over here on the left, and then we've got the PB287Q, which is the 4K. Right, the PB two seven eight Q, which is a twenty five by fourteen uh, PLS or IPS screen, and then the VG two four eight QE that you use, the original nineteen by ten G sync, and yeah. then the Overlord X two seventy OC is one of those kind of you can buy it um, aftermarket overclocked kind of pre screened up to certain frequencies. Right. So what does green signify? Green signifies what I consider to be the better of that options. Right. So if you look at resolution. The PB287Q has a 4K resolution. So okay. it's, it's, it's a better resolution. Sure, sure. Right? Now, that means other things. It means you have to have more GPU power. Mm-hmm. It means that the Windows experience may be compromised. Uh, the refresh rate, right? So there's two of them that have 144 hertz, the VG248 and the PG278Q. Yep. You know, you got the panel type, the GPU power, uh, G-Sync support, light boost, but then pricing. And that's kind of – this is that's the only – knock i have on this product is that it is a 799 dollar monitor yeah um the the 4k tn panel without g-sync is 649 the pb278q right the 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 ips pls Mm -hmm. 25 by 14 panel from asus is 478 right so you're talking about a 220 dollar no 320 dollar difference between it and the TN with G-Sync and 144 hertz. Right. Right. So that's kind of like the most direct comparison I think you can make. For under 500 bucks, you can get a really, really high-quality IPS-style 25 by 14 60 hertz monitor. For $300 more, you can add, go down in monitor quality, right? But go up in refresh rate, mm-hmm. up in G-Sync, and you have like UM, ULMB and LightBoost support as well. So it's an interesting kind of trade-off discussion. Yeah. If you are a gamer sometimes, but highly into productivity stuff almost all the other times, then you maybe would lean towards the IPS-style panel. Mm-hmm. If you are a gamer all the time, or almost all the time, and, and you browse the internet just because that's what you do when you're bored, then the ROG Swift 
is probably the better choice. Yeah. Right. On uh, that on that chart, the two G Sync panels look close. Pretty close except for the price, but in reality that TN is totally different than Yeah. So like why those, do you have GPU power as low for the uh it's a lower res. G Sync. Because it's a so uh, Oh, okay, I see it. It's a ten eighty. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 1080. I was confused. Yep, gotcha. That happened. That's I d- wasn't lot. quite sure how to word that in the table, right? It was like yeah. required GPU power. Like how much because like for the four K monitor, you need to have more expensive GPU hardware to take right. advantage of that monitor. Um, than you do even with the ROG Swift. Yeah. I'd like so. to see the four uh, K um G Sync come from It's the, coming. It's yeah. not coming from Asus, but there is one coming from Acer. Yeah. Um Go ahead. It's Acer. Yeah. And then there's a new 1080p coming from Philips, I think. Yeah, because I think 4K would would benefit more, more likely to benefit from the G-Sync yeah. you know, effect. Because at yeah. that higher resolution, chances are you're pushing lower frame rates and you're going to want that extra benefit. Of, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, so we talked about this for a really, really long time. But uh, check out the rest of the review. We have a video of it as well. Um, this is one of the things you just if you if you have the opportunity you should go try it out at a micro center or something like that when yeah. it start to show up. Yep, sit at it. at Fry's or whatever. But don't do it unless you're ready to plunk down the money. Well, because <laughs> you might you might not want to leave the store without yeah. spend you know yeah. without buying it if you like it enough. Um, let's let's move on. Uh, I don't want to get this going for too long, but um, another kind of big story that happened this week was that Intel released some information on the Core M processor. Mm-hmm. Which is the Broadwell Y version of processor. So, uh, Broadwell is the next microarchitecture coming from Intel. It's 14 nanometer process, and the Broadwell Y is kind of like its ultra low power version. Super thin, ultra low voltage parts. Oh, I remember you telling me about this. Yeah. So, yeah. Core M is the brand. I think they announced that at like Computex uh, in June that that would be the brand. Um, so they, they, they brought me out to Portland and they wanted to talk about, you know, the, the what's and the why's of, of this architecture, starting at this, at this entry point. Like, we didn't talk about desktop parts really at all. Um, did, did you get mugged in Portland? I, I didn't, no. Did you run into any Grimm's? I was actually in Hillsboro, which is like the most uh, uh, suburban part of Portland, I could imagine probably was the dream of the '90s still alive in Portland. Oh, of course. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, everybody was wearing denim and listening to grunge music. So, I mean, that's all that happens there. It's the Northwest. Um, so the first thing, the first bit about it is the 14 nanometer process. And this was an interesting discussion with them talking about, uh, you know, I, I honestly the most interesting part to me was that the idea of the 14 nanometer not really indicating anything in particular about the process technology itself. Yeah. And the same thing being true for 22 nanometer and up through like 90 or so. Like it's w- not necessarily just, feature size anymore. Right. Yeah. It, yeah, cuz uh, 22 nanometer they had feature size that was actually 26 nanometer. Right. Closer to, you know, TSMC's 28 nanometer stuff. Right. So yeah, keep going. But it's, it's a marketing term rather than an actual engineering term. They, they didn't want to call it a marketing term, of course. They called it more of a naming scheme, right? So they're, how they basically how they do the math is they take the the kind of the metal the, the pitch, right? by pitch multiplied and get your logic area scaling, and then they see how much it scales at the next process down. Right. So in this case, it was a 0.65 scaling rate. Yeah. Um, so if you took 22 and multiplied it by 0.65, you get 14.1. So it's an effective 
nanometer. It is an effective kind of uh, yeah, yeah nanometer. Range, so effectively, but it's hey, 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 Intel lied. Electrons died. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'll put that in the next. Well, we should put okay. that in the next yes. story. Yeah, that's for sure. So, uh, I, I don't know how much we want to get into this, right? You should go in and you should, and you should read the article and look at the images and look at the slides. And I, see I like the power thing. You should we should touch on that just briefly. That's like where it has a added it's about the processor itself. The processor, yeah, yeah, the yeah. processor part has added power states with where it's basically effectively like Hold on, a, before we, I don't want to get to that yet we're going to focus on the on the on the 14 oh, oh, oh. first because going on the, 14, the only okay. thing is uh, the only other so it's it's smaller it's uh it's it's more dense you yep. get better scaling um again it's going to be targeted more towards improving performance capabilities on the low voltage side mm-hmm. than it is improving scaling on the high performance side like if you look at this slide right here it kind of shows that in uh, a way, right? So if you look at 1x voltage, right, this is in relation to, or leakage rather, in relation to previous generations, you basically have a straight line across. So like high-performance computing, server computing, I think Haswell E, Broadwell E eventually, that kind of stuff, you know, performance is staying pretty much the same right? at the same leakage level. What they're trying to do is more improve things down here, right, where... For mobile. Right. Mobile, tablets, notebooks... They want better performance at those lower voltages, mm-hmm. right? So people who maybe were expecting this architecture to be like a huge jump in CPU performance, you're probably not going to see it. Right. right. It's more about getting that performance in lower form factors with larger, uh, longer battery lives than that. Um, they also talked about their relation to other uh, fab facilities, right? Uh, it was interesting. They talked about um, how other fabs had been more dense than they had been generation to generation. Like they had had better density scaling, uh, but they had always been later. Yeah. Right. So if you looked at, um, let's see, what are, what are the examples here? 45 to 40, 32 to 28 or 22 to 20. Intel was always the first one out, but eventually once the other ones were released, they actually had better scaling, like in terms of density. Okay. Right. But as Intel is now beginning to ship, its first second generation FinFET stuff. FinFET stuff. Yeah. The competition is just is still trying to get out their mm-hmm. first FinFET design. So they got a pretty good jump ahead. So they believe that they will not only, you know, starting with this generation, not only have a timed benefit, but actually a density benefit. Which is great news for Intel and it's bad news for everybody else that makes all their <laughs> stuff on competing fabs. Sorry, other guys. Right. And they talked a lot about you know how many billions of dollars they invest in this, and mm-hmm. this is it's not like something that comes free or it's just some miracle that occurs. Um, <clears throat> yields on it are seem reasonable. They're a little bit lower than where twenty two was at the same time span, but they claim that that all the tweaks they have going forward will 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 fix that. They also said that twenty two nanometer was their um, most or their best yield of any process ever in the history of the company. Wow. And I thought that was a little bit surprising. Um, yeah. But. Huh. Well, they weren't trying to achieve incredibly high speeds. <coughs> True. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But still, it's impressive. It Especially is. Especially with a first generation FinFET, or they call it their 3D gates, or. Trigate. Whatever. They did use the term. Tri-gate. They used the term FinFET on, FinFET on their own stuff yeah. uh, in these meetings as well. So. As for the speed thing. Shouldn't we be seeing 22 nanometer high performance stuff with Haswell E soon? We should. We just don't know like how that, much that, that'll faster be 22 it nanometers, is. right? Yeah. So that's kind of. We just don't know how much faster it will yeah. be, right? 
Or um, what date it'll arrive. Exactly. So the the Broadwell, the next step of it, the next half of the of the discussion we had was about Broadwell specifically. Okay. Right. <clears throat> and how it used the 14 nanometer and what architecturally it was doing. Right. So this is an interesting little look here. Right. So these two packages, the one on the left here is Haswell Y, and the one on the right is Broadwell. And you're looking at a difference in like the package size. Right, so this is the you know the green substrate that everything is kind of attached to. Notice that south or the the PC, PCH, yeah, PCH, the, yeah, PCH here. These are actually the same size. They're not. They don't change from generation to generation. Um, the processor is changing, and the package is changing really dramatically. It's right, even, a even the Z height yeah. goes from 1.5 mil to 1.04 mil. Uh, had to break the 1.1 mil rate because uh, memory packages like SD RAM, yeah, DRAM is 1.1 mil so they wanted to be under under that so you can put it on the same board right next to the yeah. ram yep yeah so uh it was revealed the die size of broadwell wide 82 millimeters squared that's 58 percent smaller than haswell which was 130 millimeters squared so do you even need a heat sink for this thing if they're going for that so uh they're fanless designs okay so they're, they're heat sinks yes but fanless, what they're but going more for like a heat designs. spreader or yep. something that's you know also yep. on the RAM, Completely I guess. Completely passive or, stuff. Okay. Uh, they also talk about the same two megs of cache per LLC. These are just some of the <clears throat> uh, specs that are actually were kind of creeping out through the uh, through the meetings we were having. Yeah. Um, the other kind of interesting change that they've done here is, um, if you remember, with with Haswell was the first processor to have a fiver F I V R um, fully integrated voltage regulator. Mm-hmm. And it kind of took a lot of the power delivery and logic off of the motherboard and moved it onto the onto the die directly. Um, well, as it turns out, with Broadwell, they're actually kind of reverting a little bit away from the fiver, and they're going back to um, <coughs> excuse me, they're going back to uh, uh, the voltage um, uh, regulator. Yes. Yeah. Well, well, they're um, external. Yeah, yeah, but on the on the back they're calling it 3DL, and now that my my, I'm blanking on what that actually stands for now for oh. some reason. Um, what was an inductor? Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's basically it's an inductor. They're bringing they're putting the inductor back on the on the on the package of the processor. Yeah, they probably just can't fit a large enough inductor on the die for what they want. So the issue actually turned out to be that they said the fiver yeah was inefficient at super low voltages. That makes sense. Right? So they wanted to put an inductor back, but now they had this new height restriction that they wanted to hit. Mm -hmm. So they did something interesting. If you look here, this is actually the the inductor on the back of the package, right? And it's actually underneath the level of the motherboard. So you actually kind of have to, like, cut this hole out of the motherboard for the inductor to fit in. It's a good thing, you know, Intel is making it easy again for motherboard manufacturers (laughs) to integrate their products. I mean, these yeah. are, this isn't going to be on like a desktop motherboard, right? This is no. a right. seven millimeter thick yeah. tablet, ten millimeter. But still, thick tablet. think about what you have to do with the traces. There's a lot of routing. Yeah. you would think it's there's a lot of routing directly under <laughs> that very spot. <laughs> Frankly, Intel doesn't give a damn. Yeah, they don't care. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a problem for them. Um, LGA. <laughs> yeah, let motherboard guys get the cost instead of us putting pins on our on our CPU. <laughs> they had some other cool things like uh, Alan was mentioning the the turbo modes have been adjusted, right? You've got three different states. Uh, well, it's not so much the turbo, but the low end of it. Oh, you're talking about, okay. 
<clears throat> so right. they call it managing excursions or duty cycle control. Yeah. So uh, the idea of a minimum voltage threshold is the, the level at which you have to supply at least this much voltage to a processor, otherwise it becomes unstable. Yep. Right. And that is why on processors today, correct me if I'm wrong on this, Josh, processors have a minimum vo- uh, clock frequency of like 800 megahertz. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's silly, it's silly yeah. to go under that. Because if you just... go under it, you can't lower the voltage anymore. Yeah. So you're just losing performance frequency. for no efficiency gain. Yep. So that's why they have the, the, the frequencies that you see at 500 or 800 megahertz, whatever it happens to be. So what Intel has devised is what they're calling duty cycling, which is um, they still can't break through a minimum threshold. But if they instead um, s- turn the CPU cores on and yeah. off, turn at the whole core rates, on and off, yeah, duty right? cycle for like say eighty percent on, twenty percent off, eighty percent on, twenty yep. percent off, they are creating an effective frequency of eighty percent of that value. So instead of five hundred megahertz, you have an effective frequency at four hundred megahertz, yep. and you are having an efficiency gain in that. 20% of the time, the cores actually turned off. Which is a lot of the power, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they can do that with both the graphics and with the uh, processor cores. And they're creating these effective clock speeds under the base clock speeds, which yeah. is maybe not something that enthusiasts are super excited to hear. But it, for people who, are one, who want tablets and notebooks that last longer, when you're yeah. going... You're reading stuff like you're reading, reading a page a of a book. Yeah. yeah. And right? systems then doing nothing. You want that to be able to, hey, if I can run at... Fifty percent of that clock speed for sixty-five percent of the voltage. Yeah. I would totally do that. Right now, they have a they have a a, a method for doing that. Just and the idea that you're reading a static whatever, yeah. right? Nothing else is changing on the device, and the CPU is able to draw like what? Just pick a ballpark number, like a quarter or twenty percent of what it used to draw at its minimum power. Like that's yeah. pretty significant, right? That's yeah. Like, it could be. It, it can't. It could be. They didn't give us any like. Actual All numbers, of this stuff yeah. is like, there's no products here. We're not talking about specific clock speeds or specific voltages yet. Yeah. Uh, they talked about like the core architecture you're seeing about 5% IPC improvement over uh, uh, Haswell. So not a huge change there. Right. Uh, more dramatic changes on the GPU side. Um, you're going to go from 20 to 24 execution units uh, on the same class of processor. Um Obviously, when you get into the desktop parts, those will even scale a little bit higher. Um, DX 11.2, OpenGL 4.3, media improvements. I find this funny. The uh, PCH is still built on 32 nanometer technology. Uh, and, and they felt, it's they basically said there's no power yeah, advantage like for them to move it at this yeah, point. There's not so many transistors in there, probably, that compared to the. And not only that, but you're looking at pad space because you still have all this I.O. power and ground coming out of there and you keep shrinking that and shrinking that and you don't increase the features, you're suddenly going to run out of pad space on your, you know, little process die. You got to (laughs) think, these processors don't even have PCI Express connectivity. Oh, yeah. Right? So they're taking everything off of that they can and this is still kind of like the minimum package size, I would guess, they could have. I'm sure if they could get smaller package by maybe moving that down to like 22 nanometer yeah. or something. Maybe they would have done that, but um, I don't know. It was, it was a really interesting set of meetings that we had throughout that week up in Portland um, talking about this and why they're doing it and why they think um, the direction they're going is the right one. I mean, look at this picture here. I'm trying to see if I can, let's get a little larger version of it. This is a motherboard, <laughs> right? And these are memory modules, Memory, not memory modules, memory chips. Yeah. This is the processor, <laughs> right? Like, 
that's kind of messed up. Better start making some smaller RAM. Yeah, like that's Those RAM Intel is doing its job of shrinking. Yeah. Do you, do you remember MRAM from uh, graphics cards in the mid '90s? Oh yeah. Those those packages remind me of that. Like the SDB Lightspeed 128 had the 2.5 megs of MRAM on it. It was fast. Yeah. Ken, show me this picture here. This is actually Haswell U from his MacBook Air. So you can see the package here and in, in its relation to a quarter. And then keep in mind of how much smaller Broadwell has yeah. become on that same, that same idea, right? So uh, the CPU, the most important part of a notebook like that, the most powerful part of a notebook like that, uh, but not, you know, in terms of space, they're doing a, a pretty good job, I think, of keeping up their side of the bargain. Um, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about that necessarily, Josh, if you have any other commentary, but I uh, encourage you to go read that, that write-up on the, on the 14 nanometer and what we know about Broadwell today. Yeah, it's going to be neat stuff. Uh, everybody's going to go low power because software certainly can't take advantage of higher CPU performance as much. And certainly if you need a high-performing CPU, you're not going to be looking at Broadwell Y. No, I mean not for a for a desktop or something like no. that. No, no, not not Broadwell Y. Maybe Broadwell, but not Broadwell Y. Correct. All right, let's talk about one more article that came up this week: uh, the OCZ Arc 100 SSD, mm-hmm. another SSD release. This is um, this is in their lowest cost, I guess. It is market here lowest cost ever from OCZ. Lowest cost least. ever from OCZ. So what are we looking at here? What kind of controller? What kind of flash? So it's the Barefoot M10, which is the same controller that was in the uh, Vertex 460. Okay. Right. Um, and it's driving the... Uh, I think it's the A19 mm-hmm. nanometer. So it's this new style Toshiba 19 nanometer flash uh, that's supposed to let them uh, get way more from a wafer because the die size is smaller. Okay. So... Uh, that would presumably lead to much lower prices, right? So that's where, kind of where the price battle thing is coming in here. But that M10 controller is actually pretty good, right? So we tested when we tested the Vertex, performance was pretty good. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, good throughputs, good iOS per second. This one is slightly derated. Like the max, the max throughput is only like 460 meg per second instead of like 550. Okay. Right. So that's you know it's drops down a little bit, but. As far as how that affects the actual like benchmark results, trace testing results, IOPS results, it's all really neck and neck with the Vertex. Hmm. So okay. you can tell it's, the controller is the same. It's really almost as if they just kind of put a cap on like the maximum straight line speed of it. And so when it comes to everything else, it doesn't really seem to affect it too badly. Huh. Um, which what is ca- good, right? What capacity is this available up to? Is it only up to 480, or does it go to 960? Only for, only up to 480. Okay. Um, it's uh, 50 cents a gig, 480 and 240, and then the 120 is 75 bucks, which is actually pretty cheap. 75 bucks for 120 gig SSD. Yeah, yeah. That, that works out to 63 cents a gig, but yeah, you know, for for the lowest end, you know, usually you're paying a little bit over the right the, the bare minimum cost per gig because you have to pay for like the PCB and the controller. And, that stuff too, right? So, so what other drive uses this controller? The Vertex 460. Vertex 460. And our experiences with that have been positive thus far. Well, yeah, we haven't heard any, uh, you know, horror stories of the past with returns and things like that. So, OCZ's been, you know, on a on a turn yeah. on that. I would say as of you know, ever since the, I would say ever since even shortly before 
uh, Toshiba acquired them. Yeah. Right? They, they really had taken a turn on that. They had earlier. started to clear out their kind of... They cleared out all their redundant SKUs, and yep. they had all these different models of, like, it was insane. Yeah. Right? It was just... They, they kind of cleaned house on all that stuff. Yeah, they cleaned house on all that stuff. Um, and then uh, they were able to focus on, you know, a much smaller set of products and fix issues that there were that were causing people to get returns. And along the line of returns... Uh, I'm guessing they did this because they realized there's still a lot of people that are like, "Well, I bought an OCZ, you know, three years ago, yeah. and it bricked on me, and you know that kind of thing." So they're taking this warranty thing pretty seriously. So there's a new warranty uh, program that they're introducing. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if this is gonna like also apply to like their other lines, but I think it might. Uh, they're calling it Shield Plus Warranty. So the drive has a three-year warranty rated at 20 gig per day, which is still way like. Average user is not writing 20 gig per day. You know, you, you might you might blow through a week worth of that quota on your initial install, and you download a whole bunch of crap from Steam and right. that kind of thing. But once all that's done, it's just it's all just sitting on your drive for a long time, right? So on average, it's going to take you a long time to hit that anyway. But if you have an issue with your drive, you call them up, you go through a typical support thing like let's figure out if it's actually your drive. Okay, once you get through that. If they determine that, you know, hey, your drive's bad, where you would usually get an RMA and have to, you know, send your drive and wait for it to come back. Yep. They All they want is the serial number. They don't need proof of purchase, first of all. Good. So there's a serial number. Okay. Obviously, they know when they made it. So at least they can do the date from, you know. Sure. You, you might lose a month of your warranty period if you just give them the serial, right? Um, but still, right? That's good you don't have to go fumbling for oh my goodness i need my proof of purchase and then if they're going to do the rma they just advance ship you the drive hmm. so and not only that but the box it comes in also has the return label like right. they're paying for right. the return shipping so yeah. basically if you do a warranty claim through those drives you pay zero and you get the drive ahead of the time. advanced shipping is such a great feature like every return should have everybody that. should yeah. do that yes I and that, i even said something to that effect in the article everybody should be doing that Right, um, but it's good, especially from OCZ. Right, OCZ of all companies needed to step yeah. forward first yeah, and do something like that. Um, you know what's kind of amazing to me about this? What? This is IndieLink's only second product that they've ever released. Correct. Right, and it was—it's a good performer. It still holds its yeah. own. Yeah. IndieLinks. IndieLinks. Man, remember those days of the SSD battles when there were like 19 controller options? Remember, remember even further back when <laughs> when initial when uh, when the Indie Links first came out. Remember that, and it was like, that was the bomb. Yeah. Oh my was, God, it's not J Micron. When it first, well, yeah, because we <laughs> were comparing it, we were comparing it to J Micron. It's so amazing. Wiping the floor with it, of course, right? Gosh. So I mean, yeah. fifty cents a gig. It's not quite the cheapest option out there because if you look at things like the mx100 yep. uh 840 evo some of those prices are dipping below 50 cents maybe even 40 right. cents every and, once and we while. included all those in this you know in all the benches yeah. here in case you want to you know compare it to those directly yeah um but yeah i mean if it comes to cost per gig and that's their launch price not only is that their launch price but i think for the first time i've ever seen it uh they showed up on amazon and new egg on the same day as the launch yeah, I think they're, they look like they sold out or they're on back order or something right now. But Probably, yeah. probably because they got scooped up pretty quick. Yeah. Um, so same day as the launch and at the MSRP price because that's just been a historic, – historically, those things have always been like you know, scarce mm. and then at a premium. Okay. Like, like over MSRP for yeah. a while, right? So that's a good sign. And the hopes I would think is once they get their volume back in and like holiday seasons and stuff start coming, 
imagine getting sale prices when you started at 50 cents a gig before you even put it on right. sale, right? So now it's, you know, only, only uh, gets better for you, right? Mm-hmm. And hopefully that guy will end up competing directly with what we're seeing, like, what was it today? Thirty-eight cents a gig now on the thirty-eight point uh, nine cents a gig for the MX, for the M five fifty actually. Yeah, for the M five fifty, which is yeah. more of a powerhouse than the MX one hundred. Yeah, yeah. I, I think if all companies that are maybe hesitant to just do battle on pricing, OCZ kind of got to the trouble spot they were in by competing on pricing like way too overly aggressively. Right. Um, so they may be a little bit more hesitant than companies like Samsung. That's true, point but now they've got. Crucial. But I think they can also now if they have Toshiba behind them. Maybe they have. That's the maybe thing. they need just a little bit more, uh, you know, to prove themselves internally before they start to to go down that route. Sure, right, sure. But now they have that avenue. I think that where they were struggling a lot was getting flash memory yeah. at a good cost as a yeah. company. They were just, yep, you know, because they were changing all the time, right. They had like synchronous this, asynchronous that. Uh, now we'll switch to toggle mode from this uh, these other guys, oh, yeah. and it was it was different. That's what made a lot of those different product lines. Hmm. Like instead of some of the other horror stories we've seen recently with company releases and SSD, then it changes their they change the type of flash or they change the type of controller. Right? That's bad news. OCZ was actually doing the right thing back then by making another Creating model a new line every time they had to change flash. But and stuff. the end yeah. result was. Four different model names for the same exact the same setup, right? Vertex, Agility, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Apex. Uh, there were a lot. There was all. Yeah, there was there just was a lot. There were so many that <laughs> that's just soup, really. Yeah. But yeah, huh. so um, right. you know, I'm guessing holiday season that might be a hot seller if they can keep it cool. in stock. Good, good for them. Um, let's uh, talk about a uh, something I think maybe some people are here to watch. We have a contest, another contest, another giveaway here from our friends at EVGA. This time uh, we're not giving away a case, we're not giving away a mouse. This time we're giving away a power supply, a EVGA Supernova 1000. You can G2. almost arc weld. Almost. Almost arc weld with this. So we're going to give away a 1000 watt power supply. It's currently selling on Amazon for 165 bucks. And all you have to do, all you have to do to win this contest is go to PCPro.com and find this post. It very specifically says, podcast listeners and viewers, win an EVGA Supernova 1000 G2 power supply. And at the bottom of that, you'll find a name, an email, and a secret word. You can only get this. See, last time I screwed up, right? Because anybody could enter the contest. That's true. Without actually having to listen to the podcast. Well, yeah. Now... You have to input the secret word, which I'm going to make up on the spot because I didn't think ahead enough to create the word beforehand. Better make it easily spelled. So the, so the answer, website isn't checking to see if it's the right no. secret word. No, it's they not. In, you submit it? it. You submit it. And if I draw your name and you don't have the right word, then you don't win. I move on to the next name. Oh, okay. We draw another name. Right? Got it. So uh, the secret word is X-Men. Ethylene glycol. <laughs> no, X-Men. What? We're doing X-Men. Okay. X-Men is a secret word for no apparent reason. It happens to be the shirt I'm wearing tonight. So Could have been long shot. Could, well, could have been. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not. The, no, the word has been decided. We can't have confusion now. It's X-Men. Correct. So put in your name. Put in your email. Put in the secret word. Micturation. And uh, on next week's podcast, we will uh, announce the winner <laughs> of the EVGA um, Supernova Chlorophyll. 1000. So, so is it one word or is it hyphen in there? It doesn't matter. I'm reading it. Like it's not being machine read. So 
Mm. It's all for me. It's just for me. So put a little note in there along with X-Men. about X-Men, ha- star, star, heart you, Ryan, star, star, right? That would probably lesson probably- three, lesson three, lesson three. <laughs> Uh, so that's it. Uh, huge thanks out to our friends over at EVGA for helping support our uh, podcast and uh, give stuff away. I think they want to give some stuff away next week again Sweet. already as well. So make sure you pay attention and subscribe at PCPer.com slash podcast. Uh, and let's move on to news items because we got a bunch of them to jump through here. Uh, first, Quickly. first up, Crossblade Ranger. Ready, Josh, go. Crossblade Ranger. It sounds like it's a uh, terrible <laughs> Japanese uh, fighting show. for the land guard. Go go exactly. Crossblade Ranger. Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, they're finally uh, going to be shipping these. Uh, they've they've put pictures of these boards arriving in their Taiwanese office, and uh, they have lots. So of this nice is a Kaveri high end Kaveri motherboard. This is a high-end FM2 Plus motherboard, and it should be selling for around 155 bucks, which is far more expensive than any other FM2 Plus board. In fact, yeah. the G1 Sniper and the uh, MSI Gaming board that I reviewed, they're both like 109 bucks, 105 bucks, 109 bucks, and those are you know pretty solid products. So Asus is um, they're going for the they're going for the brass ring on this monstrosity. Uh, it only supports Crossfire. It does not support SLI. I asked AMD uh, if there is a chipset reason, and they said actually it should be an individual motherboard licensing issue that the uh, they, they would license that from NVIDIA, put the uh, the specific uh, code and the uh, the firmware, and uh, you should be able to run SLI. Nobody's really doing this. But then again, Kaveri is not really known as a gaming processor. It is not. No. If they get that HSA thing going, it would be a different subject. Of course, it's got true audio and UVD and those decode and encode units, all those lovely things that you could actually use if they're fully enabled in SLI or Crossfire. But it's a discussion for another day. Anyway, it's a high-end board. Lots of nice components. Looks really sharp. I think we'll have one very soon for you to look at. So, Oh, yay. Oh, yay. Yay. Oh, yay. A uh, couple of last follow-ups, I guess, from FMS. There, there's still going to be more coming there's too, because okay. there's a lot of uh, stuff I need to deep dive on. FMS, flying monster spaghetti, right? Well, it's been a week. Yes, flying monster spaghetti. So it's, it's a lot of stuff. F- fission, Fizon, 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 Fizon announces new quad-core PS3110 SATA six gigabit per second. <gasps> SSD controller. Yeah, it's just a newer. They already made a SATA six gig controller. Okay. This one just has slightly higher, you know, uh, max IOPS capability. Basically, okay. like the previous model was like seventy, eighty k. This one's like ninety k, hundred k. Yep, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I mean that's really pretty much it. It's just a real, like an incremental okay. upgrade. Uh, that wasn't made that much of a big deal about watch dish one uh, compared to the ne- oh so that What's I took this? a picture of. They're not. That's not really like kind of announced yet. Well, they have a sign, kind of, wow. but there's a sign there, so I just kind of snuck it in. Uh, but yeah, they're making a PCIe 3.0 uh, by four controller. Twenty eight hundred reads, fifteen hundred writes. Yeah, pretty fast. But megabytes like, per second. You know, they don't have it on anything yet. Or NVMe one point one. Yep. A lot of a lot of companies are trying to make their next like NVMe. M.2 PCIe 3.0 by 4 yep. thing. 
Yep. Right. Everybody wants to make that controller. Everybody wants a thing. Because that's going to show up in a lot of the mobile platforms moving forward. Doing, it's doing like whole, we're back into 2010. Yeah. Uh, yeah. New SSD kinda. controllers. Yeah. 30 new yeah. SSD controllers. Here we yeah. go. Indie Links. Oh. Right. Why in the hell anybody is doing another SATA 6G controller is kind of beyond me. Uh, I think they were just trying to compete with all the other controllers out there that are capable of hitting 100K random mm. IOPS. So, too little, too late. Is that what you're thinking uh, about, Josh? Yeah. I don't know. I yeah. think they're just. Development costs. Why would we want yeah. to do that? Well, Fizen is worried about other stuff right now because I think they're, uh, it was their USB controller that was susceptible to the uh, bad USB thing. Sweet. So, uh, what else we yeah, got there? That, that SSD you were ranting and raving about is susceptible to firmware that can hack your machine. Just thought I would let you know about that. If you plug it in yeah. over USB. Well, it's a USB jump drive. Oh, so, well, then there you, you know. go. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy. <laughs> So yes, he's gonna plug it in under USB. But I have to. I, you meant the I have to on. be the one to maliciously put bad stuff on it first, uh, and then I can do somebody it. Somebody could make so, malware so that what, would make your machine infected. What, what's actually now is that it's great because now I have the weapon. That's that's true. That's true. Right? I'm yeah. not worried yeah, about some, it. I've got some tags in, in, in the factory <laughs> in China is redoing the firmware on each of these things and creating his own private botnet. Yes, exactly. Using USB sticks. H- have you noticed the computer mining a lot of Bitcoin? Lately? Yes. <laughs> Only when you plug in the jump drive, it starts mining Bitcoin. I plug in this USB drive, my CPU usage goes it's to 100%. Like 100%. I don't understand. What's going but on? the RAID works so much better. I don't yeah, get yeah. it. <laughs> so what got the so so what's the silicon motion thing here? So that's what got more people talking, at least, even though it's not like it's not super super significant. But all right, all it's right. a good performing controller, SATA six gig again, um, but designed to drive all the current forms of triple level cell flash. Okay. So that's handy for like your you know budget, you know moving forward like your budget. So you could create one controller that then you could swap the flash in inside mm-hmm. of without a bunch of headaches. Yeah, it's it's able to drive all of the current triple okay. level cell flash. That so if exists, you wanted, to, right? maybe you maybe you had an SSD and you were a company, yeah, and you didn't care about changing out the performance characteristics of it on the fly after you started selling it and marketing. You it. could just change the. You flash could just change out the flash. The controller will still will drive. Just keep it. buying it. Uh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Sign me up for the. Silicon Motion SM2256 <laughs> controller. So, well, the key, the key to that one is that it can drive triple-level cell flash, and triple-level cell flash is usually very slow. Okay. Right? And this one, I guess, somehow achieves enough parallelism to be able to pull off close to 100K random 4K IOPS. So, hmm. uh, yeah, we didn't see, like, And it says it'd be able to do that with all of those memory types? Uh, I guess it depends on, huh. you know, how many dies you stack and... That sort of thing. Huh. So did I miss the point where people other than Samsung started making TLC? Or has that not happened yet? Okay, so did you talk about that on the podcast last week? I was gone. No. Because no. Samsung, that was a breaking was news post <laughs> from the Flash Memory Summit. We at least didn't know what we were talking about. Samsung announced that their 32-layer triple-level cell Flash is going to be produced in triple levels. Like, sorry, did I say triple-level cell twice? You did? Yeah. So the stuff that's so it's in the, six level, right? So the stuff that's in the 850 Pro, which is 32 layer MLC, they are going to produce in triple level cell, right? So that's one step away from basically making an 850 Evo. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. No, we didn't. Right? Yeah, no, talked no, about that. We, t- we talked about that. What I'm asking is, when did Sandisk and Hynix start making TLC Flash? 
SanDisk and Hynix. Like, I've only ever heard of Samsung making TLC flash. No, because I think they've had triple cell EMMC products. At least SanDisk has, I, I think. I, had, I have absolutely no idea. That's no, one of the ways they squeeze. Clearly they have it. I mean, it's, yeah. uh, it lists it here. Yeah, I just it's, didn't know if that was something that was popular. coming or something they're making right now. Yeah, fair enough. Um, all right. So you'll yeah, say, so you say you'll that. have more from Flash Memory Summit. Yeah, there's a couple of interesting technologies that some other companies were demoing. That's not the kind of thing that's usually like just like, ooh, look, here's a quick news post. Like, I need to actually do a couple-page thing on nah. each one of them. Ooh, look, a news post. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, ooh, look, a news post, uh, <laughs> Tim Very wrote up a story for us on the uh, new Acer Chromebook 13. Jeremy, do you know anything about this new Chromebook from Acer? Well, it's running the Tegra K1 SoC. What? Yeah. It's kind of a neat idea because, I mean, some of these used to be running the Exynos, and that's just kind of sad. Uh, and the Bay Trail wasn't so bad, but it's kind of interesting to see the numbers that came out of uh, Burke's little talk about what they're expecting this Chromebook 13 to see. And the Tegra K1 is sounding pretty nice on this. I, the multitasking that they were saying, because, of course, we don't have one in hand quite yet, but from what they're saying, is uh, sounds pretty bloody impressive. The pricing is bang on for what you'd expect from a Chromebook. Uh, the most expensive one is just about just Three, under four hundred dollars. The yeah. the base price is about three hundred. So it's going to be interesting to see just how well these stack up against the current performance. If what they're claiming is true, it's going to spank the Bay Trail that's out there, and it's you know just going to be nice to sort of see a 1920 by 1080 13 inch chromebook yeah. for tablet prices almost a little I, bit more than a tablet but not much more so there it's 18 mil thick so it's not super thin but that's pretty good that's, yeah. that's pretty good yeah. uh it's got two usb 3.0 ports hdmi output sd reader headphone mic jack um pretty good setup there i don't i obviously i can't speak to the build quality of the device itself or anything on a chromebook what is it moving around so quickly that it needs usb3 i don't know storage uh, plug in that spies on controller and boom go yeah yeah Um, we should be seeing them by september yeah relatively quickly i think so it's it's a k1 so it's got 192 kepler core gpu in it um so I, mean, I, haven't used a, I haven't used a Chromebook, honestly, long enough to really talk about the ecosystem and, and stuff for yeah. it. But it. It's an interesting operating system because, like, there's a Baytrail version. There is a Samsung SoC version. Now yep. there's a K1 version. Uh, and you kind of, like, get to equally compare these on the same platform in a way that, that's kind of hard to do since Windows RT pooped the bed. Um, and they said that netbooks were dead. <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, they keep coming back. So yes. they, have a, they have a 1366 by 768 version and a 1080p version. They're talking about uh, 13 hours of battery life with a 1366 by 768 and 11 with a 1080p. Yep. Still good. So that's 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 pretty good. Um, and I'm all I'm all for that. It's 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 a it's a powerful little chip, as Tim wrote here, and it mm-hmm. really is once you use it with like the Shield tablet. Um, it's interesting to see it in this clamshell what form. What I was about to say, it's about the same pricing uh, level as a Shield tablet yeah. and controller. Yep. Yeah, for, for the most pick. expensive one, 379 you get 4 gigs of memory and the 1080p screen. I might even go down to the 1366 by 768 on purpose to get the two extra hours of battery life yep. type of thing mm. um, and see. I don't know. It'd be interesting. Pretty cool stuff. 
Uh, also, so we've got two company-owned cities to talk about first. Uh, first, Jeremy, give me the, the quick rundown on AMD's recent purchase of the city of Seattle. Well, uh, apparently they've bought Seattle for a, a very low price, and they're thinking about installing arms on it, extra arms, about eight of them. Eight 64-bit uh, arms? Well, eight 64-bit arms, <laughs> you know, it's, and you know, a couple of other things like, say, DDR4 support for people who are doubting that AMD even knows what DDR4 is. Now, Seattle is sort of this interesting melange of x86 and ARM that is sort of the first that we've really seen. Intel's trying to go their own way. AMD's like, no, ARM already exists, so why don't we try and figure out how to set it up? And so they've set this up in a very sort of neat way. You've got 864-bit Cortex-A57s. They're set up in pairs. So each one is almost like a dual-core chip. They share a L2 cache, but the L3 cache is shared amongst all of those cores and amongst the uh, controllers. So your memory controller, your coprocessors, and your input-output. It's sort of an interesting way that they've managed to grab ARM and do something that sort of looks rather interesting just on the Mm -hmm. face of it. When you dig into it, I mean, they're actually going to be supporting 8 SATA 6 gigabits and 8 lanes of PCI 3.0. You, you can have, you know, several 4.0s, one 8 point. It, it's up to you how you want to divvy up those 8 lanes of PCI Express. Mm. And they've also slapped in, uh, which is going to be very important for a lot of server users, which is exactly what this is for. It's not going to be a desktop part. But they've put in a Cortex-A5 core that's actually completely partitioned off from the rest of them. Uh, it's in what AMD's calling Trust Zone. Uh, Intel's got their own branding after buying McAfee. Uh, so essentially you've got a little secure boot environment in which you're completely invulnerable because it can't talk to anything else unless you're updating a BIOS, in which case it goes through, pumps it out, but it's not taking anything back. So you've actually got this true secure boot going on which is going to be sort of interesting in some usage scenarios, especially for what this is, which is dirt cheap, almost no heat being produced, but yet still producing a lot of power or a lot of processing power and being able to stack on the fabrics uh, companies that they've bought. So that you can put a crap, you can throw as many of these as you need at the job. You only need a couple of them. There you go. You're done. You need to stack dozens, hundreds of these. From what we're understanding, it could well happen. It's it's sort of a neat way of getting ARM into the server room, but AMD is benefiting from it. Like I'm kind of excited about this in a way. Josh, they want to sell yeah. chips, damn yeah. it. And this is a way that they have a uh, industry standard that they don't have to pay a whole lot for as compared to you know, either making their own ISA. Um, the layout is quite logical. I mean, all memory stuff is, it's going to go through the L3 cache no matter what. So, uh, having that huge amount in the middle, I know it says the middle, but obviously wherever they place it in the actual chip itself is going to be different. But uh, everything goes through there. It looks like it's going to be a pretty high speed uh, little unit. Uh, the amount of PCIe slots, uh, or lanes is it's nice. Uh, you can add in one of the 10 giggy 
Ethernet controllers in that, and it's going to handle that perfectly fine as well as uh, some kind of uh, uh, storage solution attached to that PCIe. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, it, it's going to fit nicely in the C micro program that they have in the Freedom Fabric. Freedom Thank Fabric. You. That's what I was trying to remember with the fabric. C micro. Freedom Fabric. Freedom Fabric. Yes. Close enough. Um, so, immediately following AMD Seattle, of course, become uh, comes NVIDIA Denver. So we're just moving from west to east mm-hmm. uh, with this transgression. Josh, do you, what, did it, you read the th- Super Bowl of chips on the arm? Wow, you're right, it is. Super I Chip am. Bowl double dip. Well, it gives AMD yeah, a better shot at victory than I would have expected. Yeah, AMD's uh, looking a lot better right now. Yeah, yeah. Way to go, Peyton. Way to go, Manning brother. Um, yeah. So did you read this this little news post here, any of this information about Denver, Josh? What do you think about I did. Uh, This is really interesting because they're having that whole uh, code translation at the beginning that as soon as you boot up that machine, it it partitions off 128 megs of memory and uh, the software and the the usual uh, suspects in in, code uh, doing x86 to uh, macro ops. Uh, NVIDIA created their own ISA for this. They're pretty excited about it. They think that they're going to be able to do what, like, Transmeta was never able to do effectively due to, you know, uh, more memory, um, better algorithms, and, uh, you know, much probably easier ISA to, uh, to work with ARM versus x86 with Transmeta tried to do. Uh, it's a superscaler. It's seven wide. But it's not out of order. But they're figuring that in between the code translation, it's almost kind of what Intel did with Epic in that the software is able to uh, compile, uh, how would I say this, the, uh, the instructions in a more parallel way that is more efficient. You're talking about Itanium stuff? Yeah, oh, yeah, gosh. but it's it's not. I think it's it's <laughs> going to be a little bit more simple than that. And uh, they're they're betting a lot on it. They're saying that uh, throughput is is very close to uh, the current i3 Haswells that are in the mobile area for that TDP. Uh, we don't know any of the the specifications of this. We don't know the TDP it's running. We know it's running up to what two point five gigahertz uh, for the uh, the K one sixty four bit. It's it's two cores as compared to the K1 that we mentioned earlier, which is four A15 cores. So you're losing a bit out on the threading, but you're gaining a significant amount in IPC and efficiency. Uh, TDP shouldn't be too bad because, again, they're they're staying away from out of order, but they're just making these really, really, really wide and hoping that the uh, kind of code translation uh, will be able to more effectively feed instructions to these new units as compared to just kind of letting uh, uh, you know the natural arm ISA do that with the uh, with the decoders at the front end. It's exciting times, man. We got AMD ARM processors. We got NVIDIA ARM processors. That's all. I wonder when Intel is going to get ARM processors. Finding TDP. Well, no way, no one, nobody wants to use TDP anymore. It's, no, it's SDP. I forget what AMD's is. And actually, FDP. for the Broadwell talk, we'd never even 
SDP was not was not a term that was ever brought up. Neither was TDP. <laughs> so it was just thermal envelopes. Um, what about TSX? Was TSX brought up? TSX was brought up. And then promptly disabled. Right. Aww. Yes. So I, I'm not sure. So this was something that was mentioned to us while we were up in Portland again because the question came up while we were talking about Broadwell. Does it have TSX support? They kind of like, well, no. <laughs> uh, and as it turns out, Haswell doesn't either. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So apparently what they did was they found a bug uh, with the TSX, which is transactional memory. It's just a way to lock regions of memory so that the process you, you're basically doing it ahead of time so that you're speeding up operations later on like you're saying this memory is designated for this this specific set of you know code i'm going to run somewhere else you know down the line in my program okay and then it doesn't have to lock that region and then do the process that involves that memory and then unlock it like usually that's a time consuming thing okay so it's all of this is in favor of trying to make things speed up right you can optimize okay. your code better well, not anymore yeah, no, it's lazy apparently, man's way of optimizing multi-threading. Uh, yeah, kind of. Apparently, TSX can cause critical software failures. Yeah. Uh, they, they said that this was like one developer found this in a very specific kind of thing. Intel re, uh, was able to reproduce it. Yep. And as a result, um, for at least a couple, at least a month or more, uh, all Haswell processor, all systems ship with Haswell processors have had TSX disabled. Um, so if you have uh, an older, if you have a Haswell processor with an, like an older motherboard BIOS, you still have TSX enabled. Yep. Here's the thing: nobody's using this. Is no, this, it's a very. They came out with that feature first, and then people were trying to like implement scientific it. computing, high yeah. performance computing. Yeah. It's very specific. You have to. It has to be compiled into. Right. No yeah. consumer applications you're using are using this. No, right. no games. No, no, nothing like that is using right. this. So like this should this should affect consumers zero. Yeah. This is the FDiv bug again. Basically. Because the FDiv bug affected a very minute portion of scientific calculation at a ridiculous level of uh, accuracy. Yeah. Apart right. from that, no one ever noticed anything. But it was a thing. And Intel also it, yeah. said, oh, crap, we've got to fix that. Yeah, and so I wasn't sure kind of really how much of uh, a racket to really make about this this news uh, it is significant in the fact that, hey, it's Intel, and they jacked up on something, and now they've yeah. kind of got to revert on it. But on the other hand... It's not AMD's TLB bug right. in Barcelona. No. <laughs> I'm, surprised, I'm surprised they can't patch around it with microcode, and they just have to turn it off with I think, microcode. I think maybe they first. can, but they don't know how yet. Yeah, maybe they Because just... they basically said the first generation, the first stepping of Broadwell will not have TSX. Right. After that, we'll see. Yeah. Right. So they're they're they they appear to be at a place where they haven't made a decision yet, or they're not ready to come out and make a decision. So yeah, I would be disappointed if like I had already purchased something that had it, and I was using it for that purpose, and then we have to revert to a previous firmware. Yeah. Right. Like so, if you have a BIOS that's running it, it's not going to like suddenly turn off. They don't have that capability. Sure. Um, But if you up yet yet, but if they uh, if you update your BIOS and it suddenly stops working. Yeah. Then yes, you'd you have could to roll your BIOS back, you, you, and you could revert. Back. Yeah. Oh, if there's one thing that I love more than updating the BIOS on an expensive <laughs> server, it's rolling, it's rolling it back. back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What could go wrong? <laughs> what? I don't understand the promise. I don't understand the promise. Yeah. Well, <sighs> we know. Um, it looks like GeForce GTX GPUs will now have. Uh, is that already? Is this something that's already started, Jeremy? Like uh, this bundle program with uh, Borderlands, the pre sequel. Uh, yeah, even though you can't get the pre-sequel 
uh, apparently as of today-ish, okay. you pick up a 770, a 780, a 780 Ti, or a, a, a Titan, because you know, everyone's buying sure. the Titans, yeah. uh, you get a free key for when it's released, Borderlands, the pre-sequel, which uh, apparently a lot of people are really looking forward to. I mean, yeah. we had fun playing it uh, live, but it, it, perhaps not my sort of game, but regardless, I mean, it, it's sort of nice to see that, uh, hey, even if you pick one up right now, boom, you're going to get a free game. And it comes out October 14th. Uh, something America. like that, yeah. yeah October 17th internationally. So. Yeah. So I, think, I, think, I think NVIDIA had a lot of success with the original Borderlands 2 bundle. It was a very, very big game, big launch, big release, very popular. I liked it. It was fun. Um, maybe we'll game stream some Borderlands pre-sequel, Ooh. pre-sequel, the sequel 2. Hey, it worked good for the 2. Borderlands Heck 2 was fun. Yeah, it certainly was. It certainly was. All right, and uh, oh wait, no, our second to last news story for today, AMD Tonga. It's a GPU, apparently. What? Yeah, exactly. Um, so news had been kind of, rumors had been circulating for a while about like a, a replacement GPU for Tahiti, essentially. Right? So we have the 290 and the 290X. We have the 260 and the 260X. Right. That are new GPUs. Yep. Right? And everything else in the middle was really old. Oh, okay. Right? So Tonga is apparently going to be a replacement for um, probably the 280, the 280X, those types. Uh, but apparently at... at, uh, at was it at Hot Chips today or no SIGGRAPH? Um, AMD's FirePro W7100 was released, and it turns out that it happens to be that that new same new GPU. Hmm. So um, I guess what's different about this is that it actually has a smaller memory bus than Tahiti. Instead of 384, it's 256 bit. Okay, um, isn't that called the NVIDIA bus? It's pretty close. It's a 256. Yeah. But Josh, you were saying before the show that you actually think because even it will actually be faster though. I think so. I think they've done a lot of optimizations. I mean, even in that you know ten thousand foot view, we see that uh, they've now quadrupled the ACE engines. I can't remember what those are. Jeremy, what are the ACE? Oh, they are the bloody. Yeah, you had to catch me out on that one, didn't you? Yeah, accelerated uh, asynchronous compute engines. Yeah, they've also went for uh, instead of two shader engines, which essentially allowed them to increase uh, uh, triangle count for oh what is that up sampling triangles it escapes me tessellation tessellation dang so they go from two to four so right off the Uh, bat there's a lot more granularity of how they're handling data and sending that to the actual stream units Um, they've gone down to a 256 bus as compared to the three 184-bit bus on the uh, R9 280 and the 280X. But if they've adjusted the caches and uh, kind of the workflow and data flow, they may actually be making a much more efficient engine that will outperform the 280 and the 280X. So this is going to be a little bit more interesting than we initially suspected. And, of course, it's going to have true audio and and some of the extra things, uh, the uh, XDMA, so you'll no longer have to have the over-the-top connector for these chips um, because the stinking architecture is now coming up on two and a half years old. Oh, God, gotcha. yeah. like this is the HD 7000 series. Exactly. That uh, they have got to extract a lot more 
per transistor efficiency as well. And so we're going to see better power consumption as compared to the previous generation. I think it's going to be a bigger jump than people expected. It's not going to be a next well, generation I can jump. Tell you, I can tell you that the first commenter in our story does not share your excitement. My enthusiasm? About the, uh, the prospect of time. But you know what? I am... <laughs> I, I really like to see companies optimize their products and make them more streamlined and do interesting things with them, even though it's not going to be a massive jump. But Because they, they, they simply can't have the massive jump because 20 nanometer is not effective for GPUs at so this sure. time. We're going to have 16 nanometer FinFET. That's going to be, I think, where everybody's going to be aiming for the next generation of big GPUs. But for the time being... Uh, both AMD and NVIDIA have really had to uh, lean on their engineers and say, you know what, you need to extract as much performance, as much efficiency out of this die area and transistor count because you've got nothing left. And, of course, after having 5 billion transistors to go through, they do have a little bit of leeway. All right. Our last story for the evening comes uh, from Intel on the DirectX 12 side of things. What? Is that a thing? Now, yet? with less CPU. Is so, it a Intel thing? apparently at SIGGRAPH, uh, so there's a whole bunch of stuff going on GDC Europe and Gamescom and SIGGRAPH, and what else were we talking about? Hot chips. Hot chips. Hot um, chips. So, SIGGRAPH is going off of Vancouver. Vancouver? Yeah, not invited at all. Thank you very much. Man. Hmm. Man, I like Vancouver. I didn't go in. Uh, added Intel had a DirectX 12 demo at their booth. The scene containing 50,000 asteroids. That's a lot of asteroids. Each yeah. in its own. Doesn't resemble call. the Mantle demo at all, does it? <laughs> uh, was developed on both uh, D3D11 and D3D12 code paths and could be switched while the demo was running. They, can, they uh, are measuring both power as well as frame rate here. Um, well, no, they're doing CPU and GPU. So, it, yes, yes, yep. CPU, GPU, uh, and they measure power and they measure frame rate as well. Uh, there is running on a Surface Pro 3 with an Intel HD 4000. Um, uh, the, the processor shows significant power reduction in the CPU even a slight, and even a slight decrease in GPU power for the same target frame rate. If power was not throttled, Intel demo, Intel's demo goes from 19 all the way up to 33 frames per second with the uh, API switch. Um, they huh. apparently are going to do a video interview tomorrow, Thursday, so probably as most of you are listening to this, at 5 p.m. Eastern uh, to kind of detail more about the demonstration that they have there. Scott wrote up a, a little piece here, and it's even kind of asking other developers about how much improvement they expect. Would they change the way they develop based on some of this? You mean um, would they develop for the Surface Pro 3? <coughs> no, I think we all know the answer to that question. Yeah. But does it change the way you do develop yeah. seeing kind of information like this, right? So um, pretty interesting stuff, right, as, as we begin to see more, you know. And it, it's always good to see Intel getting behind something like this because they have a lot of weight. Yep. They're a big fat guy, right? And when if they want to push something <laughs> they push, forward, they, they just lean hard. on it. They yeah. just lean forward. and You know, it's almost like we're going through a second golden age of, of 3D. Well, maybe not right now. But soon, because... Maybe next year sometime we may. Yeah, Intel's finally getting their act together with, with 3D stuff. AMD's got interesting integrated as well as, uh, you know, standalone NVIDIA again. Great standalone stuff. And now we're they're getting into their, their SOCs. So we've got 
some interesting choices and uh, some some interesting visuals coming up from both you know the low end all the way to the extreme high end. With everybody's got some really cool stuff. Well, I hope, except I hope Intel we see some. <laughs> Intel doesn't have you know high end graphics, but they don't. you know who cares? Yeah. Hopefully, we'll see some really high end cool stuff uh, by the end of this year or early next as well. So let's get into our hardware software picks of the week. Uh, I'm going to go first. This is maybe some 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 stuff that you guys already know about the soccer moms. Soccer Moms is definitely one of them, but also Google Keep. So uh, I have been a big user of Google Tasks, which is basically like a checklist thing on uh, Google Calendar. Yep. And you can also, I think you can use it in Gmail. I've used that. <coughs> well, but Google now Keep, you've beat the next boss and you're, you're in the Google Keep now? Yes. So Google Keep is a, it's a, it's a, it's an app for Android. I don't know if they have it for iOS, to be honest with you. I, I doubt it. Who cares about it? Uh, but it's web-based as well. And I, I like, so I have it always open on my desktop uh, uh, at my PC or on my laptop and then on my iOS device. And it kind of syncs everything on back and forth. On your what device? I'm sorry, my Android device. Okay. I, I don't know if it's on iOS. Ken's going to look for us. Uh, so it's basically like a, an ability to take notes. It's an ability to set goals. It's You can set timers to things. You can set checklists for them, right? So if you look here, like ingredients for party dip now i don't have stupid things on here like this but i can see like if you got to create a grocery list you've got the grocery list and you've got a checklist of things but then you can uh attach images but yours has like you know monkey butt powder go get it yeah must get monkey butt powder but it's too wet way (laughs) way swampy way too swampy right so here it is it's kind of formatted on the phone i kind of like the it's not just a list down the line like a kind of shifts to adjust based on the size of the data that you uh, kind of currently show to all of it. So I wouldn't so have Kristen like around. Google social thing that people use. Google Plusy? Yeah, that sounds yeah. right. Yeah. Wave? Yeah. Uh, you know, a couple of things that are a little bit of a pain, like in this format, uh, I think maybe on the phone, you can't like one-click archive. Or delete, like they don't huh. delete; they only archive. I think there's. It's either on, on the phone or on the desktop where you have to like two click to archive, and I thought that was dumb. But you know, you get the widgets for your for all you people using Android. So, uh, is it on iOS, Ken? There's a third party app, but not a so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I wouldn't bother using that. But I, I like I, I liked Google Tasks, and I liked the simplicity of it. <clears throat> and this isn't as simple, and that's kind of a detriment to me. But it also has things for I can add a timer to it or a reminder, right. and and when it show when the reminder shows up, it has like remind me again and like dismiss or remind me again in ten minutes, an hour, four hours, right? And like task is still around, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, tasks are still around, um, but based on how Google acts, it'll probably be deprecated. Have they integrated that into Gmail and stuff? This? Yeah. Uh, no, no, not yet. Because like, if you make a task from a mail item currently, it like puts all that together for you, and it does. You yeah, know. yeah. But yeah, it, it, it's just there's a lot more features in Keep than right. there are in Task, um, but at the detriment of simplicity. Yeah. So, give that a look if you're looking for a new idea in that regard. All right, Jeremy, what do you got? Well, first I have to remember remind Knight and uh, Maury of when real motherboards <laughs> were cooled. With ammo clips. Yes. Clearly. Because you know that, that shirt it makes killer. your front. Your, that, that, Jeremy, that shirt makes your front sweat so badly because it's like an entire sheet of plastic. Oh, it's, it's awful. Yeah. And you know because you were there with me, Josh. Oh, G.I. Killer from Javi. Yeah, G.I. 
Yes, it was cooled with the ammo clip of an AK-47. That was shirt needs to be cooled by an ammo clip. But anyways, for a pick, uh, as Scott rightly pointed out to me, this is not a alpha. This is not even a pre-pre-alpha. The man that was kind enough to start putting all of these builds together is saying, actually, this is pretty much debug code, so <laughs> don't complain. Just offer creative criticism. That said, you can get your hands on UT4. It's not working very well. As you can see, there are no textures. There are just guns. <laughs> However, the gun didn't have UT4 all the textures. Fans, it looks that's like all UT2004. you need is guns. It's true. So give it a shot. Download it. Right now, the BitTorrent is broken. Uh, but if you go to the IRC <laughs> channel, you can get the latest uh, download to, of this. Wow, bi- these builds that people are actually working on. Scott has been screwing around with uh, falling damage. These are debug. It's so early. It's technically not even alpha. They don't really want to even admit it's alpha. But they're so happy to say that here it is. Offer us creative feedback. And seriously, guys, if you're going to download it and play it, pop onto the IRC and just <laughs> offer the feedback from what you're seeing. And in the meantime, just enjoy fragging people on Unreal Tournament. It was, it was pretty fun. I did this for a little bit this afternoon. Yeah, kid said he played that. And I believe uh, Scott told us that he did get one kill on Fatality. Uh, he was killed many times oh. by Fatality, but he did get one kill on Fatality. So, so Fatality was getting, a, was getting a drink of water. And he well, might, maybe he was looking retired little, now, right? He's not yeah. a professional well, he, gamer. He's debating. He's debating a return. He's bright. He's bright. <laughs> I, I hope I'm not. I hope I'm not breaking news live on the podcast. He is debating a return to competitive. Well, uh, oh, so now he's practicing on Unreal Tournament. That's right. That's what, what he's doing. What, what better really time? Good. What better time to practice <laughs> yeah. than the beginning oh, of development? This is a good bug. I'm not going to report this one. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It, it, if you guys can imagine it, all the people playing the alpha of Unreal Tournament are really good at Unreal Tournament. Yeah. Really? really shocking. Man. That just seems strange. Yeah. All right, uh, Josh, I guess you're up. <sighs> Fine. Uh, you know what? I, I was sent this particular processor. I wasn't expecting much. It's better than I expected. The power draw is not as horrific as one thought. Yes, it's the FX9590. The 4.7 to 5 gigahertz product. I ran it at both 3.9 gigahertz and I ran it up at 4.7, and there was only like a 30-watt increase at the wall when I did so. And this, is a, again, it's a pretty high-end motherboard, and it's a uh, you know kind of first-generation HD 7970. So the power draw was not that horrific. Did you lower uh, the voltage at 3-point-whatever? Oh, the voltage at uh, 4.7 is a nice 1.47 volts. Did you lower the voltage when you were not at 4.7 gigahertz? No. Okay. Uh, so we'll probably see a little bit more. So, yeah. But anyway. But, uh, yeah. There you have it. And also, it, uh, it was bucks. sent along. What's that? It's only 312 bucks. Remember, yeah, remember, you know what? Look you, at the list price to... on this Amazon page. Eight ninety nine. Eight ninety nine. You saved but, $587. You but, want gigahertz, uh, you know, hertz, you'll pay. Yeah, you you need to uh, get it when it's on sale because if you're going to spend three hundred and twelve bucks on a processor, you might as well get a forty seven ninety from Intel and yeah. 
have a little bit. But interestingly enough, that was sent along with this. I finally got in that new MSI huh. 970 gaming board, which it's got some interesting features on there, and it's only like ninety nine bucks. So, huh. what yeah, you it's lose? A nice layout, but the BIOS battery is in the wrong. Or is the, the BIOS wrong battery place. is in a horrific place because as it long really as you is. install, <laughs> if you install a, a, a GPU, a graphics there, card, you're never going to see it again. You're never going to see it. Mori's going to go into convulsions Break, when he sees this. Pull, pull that over your knee. It's dumb. Yeah, dumb. So review on that soon. Hopefully, great, awesome. Alan, you're up next. All right, so uh, a couple weeks ago, I wanted to remove some duplicate files. Oh, boy. And then that led to going wading through the cesspool of the internet worth of duplicate file finders. Mm-hmm. Which, which in itself, find, there may be duplicates. Of. Which, and, and so, I, so I've managed to find a duplicate file finder to remove those duplicates. And uh, then I managed to narrow it down to this guy, which is a duplicate file detective. I got to say... Tell me about okay. Tell me about this software first. All right. So it's just you know you're you're you have a whole crap load of files. You're trying to go through dupes. You don't want to like something with a Fisher Price interface or something that's going to be, uh, you know, simple and kind of dare I say like dumb enough to where it tries to not give you a lot of knobs to turn. And then you what do you end up doing? You end up like deleting stuff that you didn't mean to delete. Mm-hmm. Right. Arguably, you're deleting stuff. It's the most important thing to be careful. What sure. the heck you're doing? Right. You want to know where the thing is I just deleted versus the duplicate, the copy that's somewhere else, right? So this thing just has basically every possible option you could think of for that kind of thing. And in the end, it makes your job... It has the ribbon interface. It has ribbon, which is kind of, eh, <laughs> you know. But uh, but it has a bunch of other, you know, uh, sidebar uh, tweaks and everything that once you've done your, your search and it's ripped through your whole drive, you can kind of narrow stuff down sure. really quickly. Sure. And, you know, you can just like right click on something and just, op- you know, pop open the Explorer folder of both sides. Okay. What, what, you know, where each file resides in the duplicates because it might be duplicate folders, you know, that kind of thing. So it just saved a lot of time. Uh, I, after- Remind me to set a rule to forward all of the spam that I get about deduping. Straight to you. Just to me. Okay. Just um, to you. So it's, uh, it's uh, I think, a 14 or 15-day free trial. If you want to buy it, it's like 40 bucks, which is kind of pricey. But if you don't, you know, I mean, how often do you really need de-dupe. to go through and dedupe stuff? So, so the, the 15-day trial completely functional? Uh, it worked. Everything I tried to do on it worked. Huh. So. Not very yeah. bright. I would say, so what I was going to say before is, you, you use this software? I did. I use it. Okay. And it sped things up? It's not that it sped things up. I didn't do it for that reason. I did it because I had dupes in, in, intermingled in, in like a couple of folder trees, and I was trying to figure out, you know, one folder tree had been rearranged and some files were deleted. The other folder tree hadn't been rearranged, but had some other original files, okay. right? I was just going to say, so, this took you a long time. Storage is cheap. Yeah. You save yeah. everything. Why not save If you're trying to organize stuff... <laughs> The issue is if you have like an out of sync, like, you know, you had a copy and you rearranged a bunch of stuff there and then you might have deleted some stuff. No, so you got to go through my process, which is when you build a new computer, you (laughs) take everything off of the old drive and you put it on a folder called old PC on C drive. And then you just completely continue to use it until you don't need it anymore. Oh, you just keep using it? it. Oh. Or you just toss it on a raid and watch it die. Yeah, I I just usually ignore my backups and... (laughs) Back what? I'm still back up to tape. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what tapes it sound like. It works, Then it starts making a modem sound for some reason. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Tapes, tapes really weird. No, no, it's the old fast-forward noise from your cassette player. Yep. Oh, no, went too far. Got to rewind. Oh, no, the tape broke free. Oh, no, get the pencil. Ah! Get the pencil. Get the pencil. <laughs> rewind it that way. Uh, so that's going to be it for the show. This has been the PC Perspective Podcast, our 313th amazing episode. Uh, if you joined us live, thank you very much. PCPro.com slash live. We record on Wednesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. And if you want to find all of our back episodes or ways to subscribe, go to PCPro.com slash podcast. Uh, and uh, you can find us there. And, of course, in case you missed it, we are having a contest, and you can find this post actually at pcpro.com slash podcast as well. I might have to scroll down a little bit. Uh, but you can win an EVGA Supernova 1000-watt G2 power supply. All you have to do is know our secret word and fill out your name and email address in the form on the post. So do that thing. All right, guys. Uh, we will be back next week with another exciting edition of the PC Perspective Podcast. I'm Ryan Shrout. I'm Jeremy Hallstrom, muted. I'm Josh Walbrett. <laughs> and I'm Alan Valentine. Goodbye. <laughs>